I hope that all of us would desire to be a better Christian. I hope that would be your desire. It's one thing to have a desire. It's a whole nother thing to be able to see it come to fruition. You can desire to uh, maybe save $1,000. I don't know. You want to save $1,000. Great. You can have that desire. I want to save $1,000 because, hey, here you go. I'd like to be able to give that to the parking lot fund. You figure, I got to work it in here somewhere. I'm trying to work it. Every single message come back to that parking lot, all right? <laughs> it was a joke, folks. I mean, come on, lighten up. You know, it's Sunday night. Enjoy yourself. Man. So you're going to save up a thousand. You can say, I got a desire. I want to give. I want to give to the parking lot fund. I've got the desire. Great. But then every day, instead of saving your lunch money and packing lunch, you go out and you buy lunch every day. And you waste $25 going to McDonald's. You know, because a Happy Meal now is like thirty-five, fifty. You think I'm joking. Wait till, the, wait till the hourly wage goes up to 15 bucks an hour here in 2020. What, what is it? 2023? 2023, I think it is. Yeah, 2023. Hourly wage goes up to 15 bucks an hour around here. You're going to be going to McDonald's and have to take out a, a, a loan, you know, to be able to feed your family. Man, this is a rough crowd tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the people on Facebook Live are enjoying this message already. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but you could have the desire, but instead of saving that money, you understand what I'm saying. You're spending that money, so that desire will never come to fruition. You can desire to act in faith. Oh, oh, I want to take the opportunity that God gives me to act in faith. But if you don't ever do it, then the desire is never going to come to fruition. Just like if you don't ever decide, I'm going to set, you know, $10 aside every week to be able to save $1,000, to be able to do whatever what you want with it. You've got that desire. If you don't do that, you're never going to see that come to fruition. And for us as believers, we can talk about becoming a better Christian. We can talk about uh, loving Christ more. We can talk about being a, a greater light to the world around us. We can talk about all those things, and we can have those desires. But Christianity is more than just having desire. Christianity is acting upon those things in order to see that desire come to fulfillment. And see, God gives us opportunities to act in faith. And I mentioned to you that he gives us the opportunity to act in faith and that opportunity gives us first choices. I mentioned to you this morning that we have a choice. Every single uh, person in here has a choice to be able to act in faith. We have a choice, as I mentioned this morning, to be able to believe the words of others or believe the word of God. You've got that choice. And we also have a choice, I mentioned to you this morning, that uh, we have a choice to, uh, um, of how we will respond. But I, I mentioned to you, who or what you believe will determine how you respond. If you believe the words of others, it's going to determine 
how you respond. If you believe the words of God, it's going to determine how you respond. But as, this, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, that the title of this message is Choice and Consequences. With every choice, there is a consequence. So let's see here uh, this evening the second point, that God gives us opportunities to act in faith, but we have to make the choice to act in faith. If we do, we have the right consequences. If we don't, we're going to experience negative consequences. Take a look, number two. Not only do you have the choice, but number two, you have the consequences. You have the consequences. Most of the time when we think of consequences, we think of our consequences that we bring upon ourselves. And that's true, we ought to. But have you ever thought about the consequences from God's perspective? Because this passage of Scripture shows us the consequences that if we don't act in faith, <clears throat> if we don't take those opportunities to act in faith, we see the consequences from God's perspective. I, I want you to see this here in Numbers chapter 14 because uh, letter A, if you're taking notes, the reaction of God for not taking the opportunity the reaction of God for not taking the opportunity. Take a look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long? Here we go. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. You know what the principle is here? God does not sit still when his people make the wrong choices. I'm, I'm, I, look, I'm all for a loving God, and God is a loving God. You can see that all throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If people, if people try and say the God of the Old Testament was angry and judgmental and, and condemning and full of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is the loving, the kind, the gracious God, they don't understand their Bible. They do not understand their Bible because the Old Testament, as I've told you before, it is saturated with the love and grace of God. The Old Testament, it points to the love and grace of God, of Jesus Christ on Calvary. The Old Testament, it points us to Christ, okay? So they don't understand their Bible, but God has been very patient with these people. And he's very patient with us, but God will not sit still when we deliberately make the wrong choice. God was so angry at the report that was given by the 10 spies, the lack of faith, and the lack of faith that his people had, the Bible says that he was going to wipe them out. And he was going to start a new nation with Moses. But I want to press in a little bit. Well, why did God react that way? See, there are the consequences. You have the consequences now. If we make the wrong choice, we have the consequences. And God is reacting for the, because the people of Israel did not take this opportunity to act in faith. I want you to take a look, if you will, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 37. Because we find out a little bit why God reacted the way that he did. 
Even those men did bring up the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. First, I want you to see what God called the report here. In the Word of God, it is mentioned, it wasn't just a bad report. He didn't say it wasn't a very good report. He said that these men brought up an evil report. That's important because when it means, what, when he's mentioning that word evil, it means the state of being held in low esteem. So now you're taking what God has said about the land and then you're taking what man has said and man is taking what God has said about the land and not exalting it. It's bringing it down. It, it, it means to... It, it, It has to do with that often happens because the result of criticism, they were criticizing in their poor report of the land, they were criticizing what God had said. We would put it this way. We would say slander. We would use the term slander. They were slant. God said it was a good land. God said that it was a land that they were going to be able to take. God said that I will fight for you. God said that I'm going to give you this land. And they're saying, no, we can't take the land. No, we can't. It's, it's too great for us. The cities are too big. The people are too big. They are much stronger than we are. They're much better warriors than we are. They're going on and on and on. And they're taking what God had said and they're diminishing it. They are slandering it. And listen, folks, God does not take lightly when people slander his word. We would would say this. We would say they took what God had said and brought it to the place where the people no longer held the word of God as the final authority. Hello? Hello, American church. I I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here. But the, the, the simple fact of the matter is that though we live in the 21st century and though there are many opinions on many different things out there on many different subjects, if the Word of God speaks on it, then what the Word of God says is final. It's final. And whenever a man of God or somebody gets up and starts apologizing for what the Word of God has to say and starts to twist it, well, God probably didn't really mean it like that, and it was probably part of the cultural setting, and it really doesn't mean that, and those type of things. Um, Friends, I would tell you, the first thing that you need to do is probably exit from that church. Because when we start putting man's Word above God's Word, God's not going to take that too lightly. See, because of the criticism of the majority of the group, what God's word said didn't mean as much to the people as what man's word has to say. I've told you before, and I'll say it again. If what I say does not line up with the book, you throw out what I have to say and you follow the book. Because I'm a human being. I've been known to make one or two mistakes in my life. And sometimes my mouth can get ahead of my mind. You ever do that? And you're like, oh, I, no, that, that's wrong. I, I, I got that backwards. You know, you got Moses coming off the ark. I'm glad I didn't have any deacons say amen, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you get sometimes, you get things mixed up. And if what I say doesn't line up with the book, or any man that stands behind this pulpit doesn't line up with the book, then guess what? We need to stick 
by the book. God's Word is the final authority. You say, well, that doesn't fit in well with culture. God's Word is the final authority. You might say, well, that is offensive to a certain group of people. God's Word is the final authority. You say, well, I, that doesn't particularly fit my lifestyle or the way that I believe. God's Word is the final authority. And when you and I put, put man's word above God's word, the point is we are always headed for trouble. And secondly, I want you to see I'm pressing. Why did God react that way? Why did God say, man, I, I want to wipe out this nation. I want to destroy this nation, Moses, and I'm going to start over with you. First, because they slandered his word. But secondly, I want you to see here as we press into this a little bit. Take a look at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me not for all the signs which I have showed among them? Now take a look at verse 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. I want us to see the word provoke or provoked. He goes on, and the reason that God reacted the way that he did, because provoke means to spurn. It means, here you go, to treat disrespectfully, to discard, to despise, to treat with contempt. That's exactly, not only did they, is God saying that you have lowered my word, you've taken the authority of my word out of your life, now he says, you have treated me personally by the way that you have acted, by not walking in the way of faith. You have disrespected me. You have disregarded me. You have spurned, uh, you have spurned me. You have despised me. You have treated me with contempt. See, this is how God describes the people and the majority group. The majority of the group that, that treated God by him the way that they treated God by their actions and by their words. I think that we could agree that the word provoke is a very strong word. And God used it to describe how people treated himself. Now before, now listen, before you say, well, pastor, I would ne I'd never treat God that way. I want to press a little bit further. Because I, would th I think it would be good for us to see what provoking God looks like. What's it mean to provoke God? Oh, we can understand pretty easily that we, if we believe man's word over God's word, then that's taking the final authority in our life. That we're, we're, we're taking the final authority away from God and we're putting man's word in it. We, we can understand that. So I, I, need to tr I, I need to make sure that God's word is the final authority in my life. But then what does it mean to provoke God? Take a look at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 2. And all the children murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. To provoke God is to murmur against him. Or we could say in this portion, his leadership. To murmur against him. What's a word for murmur? We would put it this way. Complain. Grumble. Gripe. Bicker. Tear down. How about what else would be provoking? Take a look at verse 3. 
And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? To provoke God is to falsely accuse him. It's to falsely accuse him. Saying that God did something to harm me, to hurt me, instead of to help me. Take a look at verse 11. I want you to think as we're turning there, do we ever complain about God and about the things of God? We ever accuse God falsely about the direction that he's, he's, ta- he's taking us in our lives? How about verse 11 here? And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me and how long will it ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? To provoke God is not to believe him. Is not to believe him. Take a look at Numbers chapter 16 and verse 30. Turn over there, if you will, with me, please. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertaineth unto them, and they go down quickly into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. So what does it mean to provoke God? To provoke God is to rebel against his God-established leadership. That's what was happening here. I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is the last verse as we press into this. And I want you to think, we would say, oh, I would never provoke God. I would would never disrespect God. Oh, I would never uh, uh, spurn God. I would never do those things. But I I want you to think if in your Christian life that, that you and I, have we ever done any of these things? If we have, we've provoked God. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse, let's see, verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 20. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers to flow with milk and honey, they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxed and fat. They shall re- uh, uh, then they will, they will turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. You know what it means to provoke God? It's to put something or someone in the place of God. It's to put somewhat, something or someone in the place of God. Here, here's what I'm saying. It's not to have God as number one in your life. Isn't it amazing? What, did you notice what he said? After I've blessed them. After I've blessed them. This is what's going to happen. And sometimes what happens is when God blesses us, our blessings become the source of our downfall. That's not God's fault. No, no, that's our fault. So I want you to think, have you ever provoked God? And I think that all of us could learn a lesson that we should be careful in our own lives as not to provoke God. So we see the first consequence is the consequence of God's reaction. But let's take, let's see, not only the reaction of God for not taking the opportunity, because we did not take that opportunity, a step of faith, God reacted. Let's take a look, uh, letter B. The refusal of God for not taking the opportunity. The refusal of God for not taking the opportunity. We find this in verses 20 through 38. 
For lack of time, I'm not going to read it. I'd encourage you to read it on your own. But had it not been for the prayer of Moses, God would have wiped out the nation and started a new nation with Moses. But take a look at verse 20, if you would, please. Because the Bible says that God pardoned the nation. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. I have pardoned according to thy word. Whose word? Moses had prayed, God, remember your name. And so therefore, God said, okay, I've pardoned the nation. What does it mean to pardon? To pardon means to forgive. And though God did not wipe out the nation, here we go. We're talking about your consequences, right? You have a choice, and then you have the consequences. Though God did not wipe out the nation, there was still the refusal of God to allow the nation into the promised land. All those who were 20 years old and older were not going to enter the promised land. Have you ever thought about those who are 20 years old? Did you realize that they knew about when they were going to die? They only have 40 years to live, maximum. They only have 40 years to live. They were 20 years old and their life was put right before them. It's not that God didn't forgive them. He did forgive them. The Bible plainly teaches us that, that he forgave those people for their lack of faith. But they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land. See, God's refusal is seen in not allowing those who were 20 years old and older to go in the land, but God's refusal was seen and the men who brought up an evil report. Take a look here. If, I want you to see this. Take a look at verse 35 and following of uh, Numbers chapter 14. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search out the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing, up an, uh, uh, by bringing up slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up an evil report upon the land, now take a look at this right here, died by the plague before the Lord. I believe God killed them right in front of the, the whole nation. I don't believe that those men right there were able to even last for the 40 years. There might be others that would disagree with, with me, and I'm not going to split hairs over that, but I, I believe that God used that as a vivid il illustration here, and I'm going to show you why I believe that in just a moment. But the principle that is being taught is that God does forgive. God does pardon. But there are consequences for our lack of not taking the opportunity to act in faith. There are consequences. Sometimes people will say, but pastor, it's very hard to act in faith. I would say, yes, it is at times, because sometimes God does bring you to Red Sea type instances in your life. Sometimes God brings you to um, Jordan River instances. 
Sometimes God brings you to mountain-type instances where you don't know how you're going to get around or through or over. And it's hard. But you're either going to live and act upon faith even though it's hard, or you're going to live with the regret of not acting. See, you're either, here you go, you say, well, faith is difficult sometimes. You're either going to live with the difficulty of faith, acting in faith, or you're going to live with the difficulty of not obeying. You're going to live with the difficulty of regret. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I believe any, everybody in here that's probably over the age of five could say, I've got some regrets. I wish I would have done things a little bit differently. If you, have, if you don't have any regrets, please see me after the service because I'm going to let you preach for the next couple years to be able to help us out. But you know it's true. You will either live with the difficulty of acting in faith and learning to trust God every day and say, man, this is, this is difficult. And God, help me to stay true to your word. Help me to, to stay true to you. You may live with that difficulty. And sometimes it is we're human beings. It's the f- flesh fighting the spirit. And so therefore, it may be difficult. It's not always easy. But you're either going to live with that difficulty or you will live with the difficulty of regret in your life saying, I wish I had. I can guarantee you that those 20-somethings and all those people there uh, that, that had refused what God told them to do were looking back on life and saying, I wish I would have taken God at his word. You say, well, I thought God forgives. He does. You say, how can I see his forgiveness here? He provided for them even in the wilderness. He provided food for them. He provided shelter for them. He provided clothing for them. He provided protection from their enemies from them. He still cared for them. He still took care of them. He still loved them. But the simple fact of the matter is they were not able to enjoy greater blessings of God because they did not act in faith. And when we refuse to act in faith, when we rebel against God, there is the refusal of God on his part. And he has every right to refuse certain things in our life because we have not acted in faith and trusted him. And we are not able to enjoy greater blessings. See, we don't like to hear this about God because we think in in the 21st century that, man, yeah, though I didn't do that, God's got to just accept whatever I give to him. Folks, look, listen, that makes us God and him not. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand all this, how God works that way. How can he be loving? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand it all. I'm just being, uh, I I don't, but guess what? Even in this, God's still loving because he did take care of them. But I, I can't explain how God can be uh, always just and always loving at the same time. I, I, if I could explain all that, then God wouldn't be God. But the simple fact of the matter is that God has a right because he is God. You say, well, I don't understand it. I don't always understand it either, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Just because we don't understand something doesn't, don't mean that, does not mean that we should not Learn from it. Doesn't mean that we should not follow it. 
See, there are consequences for our lack of not taking the opportunity. So there's the consequences of God's reaction. There's the consequences of God's refusal. And then letter C. I want you to see the rebellion of the people in response to the missed opportunity. Take a look at chapter 14, verse 39 through 45. Remember, I told you that I was going to show you why I believe that God killed those men right there, immediately, by some type of plague. And here you go, verse 39 through 45. And Moses told these things unto all the children of Israel, and the, the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up unto the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, hmm, there's that word again, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. What is interesting is initially one might think that these people were truly repentant and they wanted to follow God. I mean, it says that they mourned greatly, right? Listen, Regret and repentance are two different things. They weren't truly repentant. It said that they mourned greatly. It said that they sinned. And they said, hey, uh, we're going to go up. We'll go up, God. We're ready to go. There's only one problem. God said to turn and go to the wilderness. I'd like the guys to flash up the map there again if we could from this morning, if you guys got that. You'll see here, Horma, hopefully you can see it. It's right there where that little flag is. That's the place where they were going to go up to. That's the place where they wanted to go fight. They were ready to be obedient unto God. Take a look at verse 25. You can leave that up there if you would, guys. Leave that slide up there. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn ye, this is what God said, turn ye and get ye into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. I believe the nation was not mourning because of their sin. I believe the nation was mourning because of two reasons. Number one, because they could not go into the promised land. And number two, because of their so-called leaders, 10 of them were killed in front of them. I don't believe they were, they were mourning because of their sin. They were only giving lip service to God when they said that they had sinned. See, the reason that we can come to those conclusions is because of what they did. They once again rebelled against God. What did God tell them to do? God said, don't go up. God said, I want you to turn to the wilderness. I, I want you to go towards the Red Sea. See, they said, well, God, we're, we're ready to listen to you. No, they weren't. And they went up to try and go into the land of Canaan directly against 
God. Take a look at verse 42. Go not up. I think that's pretty plain. For the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. Verse 44. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. You know what that's saying? When it's saying that right there, that phrase means that God's presence wasn't with them. That's what it's saying. God's presence wasn't with them. Oh, it looked like from the outside, it, it looked like they were, get, they were saying the right things. God, we've sinned against you. God, God, we're ready to go up. We're ready to follow you. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we'll sing, where he leads, I'll follow. I wonder if that's really, truly our heart. See, the consequences of the rebellious heart that God wasn't with them. They showed their real colors. And what happened? What were some of the consequences? Many of them lost their lives. It says that there was this confitted, they were smitten. And the idea is that they were totally consumed. They were wiped out. They weren't willing to learn to live with the consequences of wandering for 40 years and being content with what God said they were going to have to do. For example, let me put it to you this way. This is a very vivid and, and very stark, very hard um, illustration. But for example, God forbid that this would ever happen. But I pray the Lord protects me every day. I'm married to a wonderful woman, and I thank the Lord for her. But what if I got involved with another lady, committed the sin of adultery? Be a horrible thing. God forgive me of that. Sure he would. Would I still be saved? Sure, I would still be saved. Could I still serve the Lord? Yes, I could still serve the Lord. Could I still pastor? No. Would God still care for me? Yes. Would he still take care of me? Yes. But could I pastor? No. Those people, they couldn't go into the land. See, I would have to learn. I'm trying to bring this down so we can understand. I would have to learn to live with those consequences. Though God still loves me, though he still cares for me, I would have to learn to live with those consequences. I could not continue on as a pastor. Because of what God's word says. I could not do it. The sad reality is today that there are pastors all across this nation that congregations have no idea what the Bible says. And they just, well, that's okay. It happens. That's because they don't have God's word as the final authority. And if I said to you, well, guess what, folks? I'm truly repentant. I am so sorry. 
I want you to forgive me. I've asked my wife to forgive me. I've asked my kids to forgive me. My family, I want you to forgive me. It was in a moment of weakness and, and you know, Satan just got a hold of me. And though the people of Open Bible, there are many of them, they're just not loving and forgiving and they've asked me to move on. I just want to let you know, I'm starting a church five miles down the road and I want you to come join me and it's going to be love fellowship because we ought to just love one another. And we ought to. So I figured, you know, we'll just, we'll just call it that. And I'm going to start this church and I want you to come join me. And we're going to preach and see people saved and all this kind of stuff. You know what? That's just like those people trying to get into the land of Canaan saying, God, I'm going to go up. We'll go up. We're ready to serve you now, God. You know what? I'm not truly repentant. Because there are consequences for my choices. And I know that's a very hard hard illustration that, that's very star and that no church I'm telling you you don't ever want to have to go through that as a church it can devastate a church for generations to be honest with you the people of the church lose total trust in any type of pastoral authority whatsoever but I'm trying to use it to make a point that we have an opportunity either to act in faith and choose what's right and enjoy the consequences that God gives us. Enjoy the fruit of the land. Enjoy the goodness of the land. Enjoy the victories that God will give us. Or we can, we can disregard the opportunity and rebel against God and wander in the wilderness. But these people, they were not repentant. You say, well, how would we have known if they were really repentant? Number one, they wouldn't have gone up to Horma. Number two, you know what they would have done? They would have said, God, we have sinned against you. And God, you have a right. You have a right because you are God to have us wander in this wilderness but God, we want to thank you that though we'll be in this wilderness, you will protect us, you will provide for us, you will care for us, and you still love us. And we will worship you for as long as we're in this wilderness. That wasn't their hard attitude. Their hard attitude was to do what they wanted to do. So let me ask you, all of us, have opportunities. You have opportunities every day to act in faith. Every day. Are you acting in faith? And are you going to enjoy those consequences that God gives? Or are you going to disregard, follow yourself or others, and then experience those consequences? You've got to make that choice. Nobody can make it for you. But let me tell you, just remember one thing. You're either going to live with the discomfort of acting in faith because sometimes acting in faith is uncomfortable. You are either going to live with the discomfort of acting in faith or you're going to live with the discomfort of regret. You're going to live with discomfort one way or the other. So I don't know about you, but if I'm going to have to live with some discomfort, being uncomfortable, because faith takes us out of our comfort zone. If I've got to live with discomfort, 
I'd rather live with the discomfort of acting in faith, knowing that I'm following God and that one day I will enjoy the consequences of making a right decision. How about you?